The following audio is from Maranatha Chapel, located in San Diego, California. For more information about Maranatha Chapel, please visit www.maranathachapel.org. Okay, let's open our Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew. So we, you know, have, have not been in Matthew for about a month in December. So now we're diving back into the Sermon on the Mount. We're in the final uh, third of that sermon. This is the longest sermon, the most, and some would say the only complete sermon of Jesus that he delivered 2,000 years ago. Most uh, Bible commentators would say that this sermon, called the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapters 5 and 6 and 7, was the basic uh, message about the kingdom that everywhere Jesus went, he would you know, maybe he would uh, switch the order up depending on the circumstances, the situation, and the place uh, that he was, but this kind of is the bullseye, the heart of his message for the kingdom. So even as then he was teaching, training his disciples, so, you know, if if you have that red-letter edition of the Bible, uh, where in the Gospels every word of Jesus that's in the Bible is in red. That means he came out of his mouth. So the whole seventh chapter of Matthew, whether you have that addition or not, every word is a red letter word. It's a word that came literally out of the mouth of Jesus. So we're very blessed uh, to be taught directly from him this morning. So we're kind of picking up in two-thirds through the sermon, but we begin with verse one of chapter seven. Jesus says, judge not that you be not judged. For with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Um, I think it's very good. You know, what what does Jesus mean when he talks about judgment? Don't judge or you will be judged. And the first principle of judgment is that really we begin with ourselves. That's what Jesus is saying. Now, especially people that are spiritual and they get, you know, they they begin believing in God and then they hear the gospel or then they get saved and then they become a believer and they start reading the Bible and man, the word of God is likened unto a sword, a double-edged sword, by the way. It's powerful, penetrating, sharp, truth, eternal, supernatural, Uh, It goes in, and so what Jesus is warning his followers and disciples is, you know, yes, read it, study it, meditate on it, grow in it, understand it, use it, but remember, it's a sword. And so he's, he's kind of going not just to the teaching of what we believe as sons and daughters of the kingdom of heaven, but now the manner in which we are to use the sword. So it's, it's kind of getting to the tone, the attitude, the heart. And I think it's a very, very important teaching because I would say perhaps no other verse in the Sermon on the Mount has been so misapplied as this one. Do not judge, you know, how many times have I heard this? If I've heard it once, I've heard it a thousand times. You're talking to someone, you're sharing with them, and go, hey man, don't judge me, man. Jesus said, don't judge me, man. You ever met that guy? <laughs> don't judge me, man. No judgment. And I just want to say this. The truth is, 
Jesus did not forbid us from making judgments. So we're going to have to dive in a little bit deeper and talk about what exactly that he meant. You have to make judgments. In fact, there's another word called discernment. And so everybody say discernment. Discernment. Discernment means making a decision, uh, making a determination, which means you got to make a judgment. Is it good or is it bad? Is it true or is it a lie? Is it light or is it darkness? I mean, we make judgments all the time. So when Jesus says, judge not lest you be judged, I think he has the Pharisees in mind. As we you know, unwrap this a little bit more, I think it will become more clear because there was a group, now they don't exist in modern times, uh, but 2,000 years ago there was a group of uh, religious Jews who were called Pharisees, and these were, you know, they followed all the rules, and they were regarded very highly by the people, and the average guy that had a job or you had to work or you're a wife or a mom, and and it's like, man, we don't have time to do all, and these guys spent 24 hours a day, seven days a week, all they're doing is following all the rules, and there was a arrogance, there was a pride, there was a self-righteousness, and they were very, very judgmental. And the irony is, these are the religious guys, but because they were so judgmental and so hypocritical, they drove the average person, instead of to God, away from God. Does that sound familiar? Are there not people today that they don't have a problem with Jesus, they got a problem with Christians because of hypocrisy. Because, and, and I just think there are multitudes that are right now in San Diego that went to church at one time or they were raised and went to catechism or Sunday school or Catholic church or Lutheran, whatever it was, and then something happened. And then there was hypocrisy. Said, they said, that's it. We're out of here. And they become lost untethered, and they're, they're wandering around, they're wounded. So Jesus is talking to the real believers, the real disciples, the real followers, and he's basically saying, do not be like them. Don't drive people away, even if what you're saying is right, but it's from the wrong spirit, the wrong heart, the wrong attitude. He's also saying not to condemn Um, You know, great scriptures, Romans chapter 8, verse 1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Um, Condemnation is reserved. Human beings are not to condemn anybody. We're not to judge anybody in that way in an eternal sense. Only God can do that because God knows everything. God not only knows the outward actions, He knows what we can't see. He knows what the motivations are of the heart. A lot of times we make judgments and we're wrong. We don't see everything. We don't know anything. All of us have had the experience where you came to a situation, you summed it up, you took the facts you had, you made a judgment, and then you find out a little bit down the road, more information came and you go, well, I didn't know that. Well, that changes everything. Hello, you just made a mistake. So Jesus is, is really, this, this is a great message to the sincere, legitimate, real believers. 
Do not be known as a hyper-judgmental, condemning, critical uh, follower of Jesus Christ, because you're being… the Pharisees were a hindrance to people really being touched by the love of God and the message of the good news of Jesus Christ. So, basically what Jesus says is we should start… if you want to start judging, start with yourself. And isn't it true that when all of a sudden, oh, I'm not judging you, but now I'm turning the sword and I'm going to judge myself, I want to be very careful with how I do that. I want to be very, I'm going to be very compassionate. It's funny how my sins on somebody else look twice as bad. But when those are mine, it's like, yeah, but if you knew and understood and what I was going through and, you know, a lot more sympathy, mercy, and compassion comes in that. So there are, there are several reasons why we should not judge. And the first one is this, because we shall be judged. I don't know if anybody has ever told you this or not, but if I'm the first, I, I'm, I'm going to share it with you. You're here in church on Sunday, the first Sunday of the month of January in the year 2018. If you're a child of God, well, let's even go outside of that. Even if you're not a child of God or follower or believer, Every single human being, there is a day coming called Judgment Day. And by the way, um, there's no time. So each one of us will stand individually before God on Judgment Day. And on that day, and and to me, that's a very sobering thought. Is that a sobering thought to anybody else? I got to stand before God. And on that day, the only reason I will have or you will be able to stand there for acceptance into heaven is not by my good deeds. The average person on the street feels like that, well, you know, you got to just do more good things and you do bad things and they're constantly on this scale. Well, I'm not as bad as a lot of people in the world. Well, here's the the problem with that. When we get to heaven, uh, we are not going to be judged on a curve of how others did. Here's the standard. To get into heaven, you have to be perfect. You have to be, well, how righteous do you have to be? As righteous as Jesus Christ. How many realize we have a problem? Hello, Houston. We have all sinned and all have fallen short of the glory of God. So, (laughs) I've, I've said this before, and I, and I say it again. You don't want to stand on judgment day and say, God, give me what I deserve based on all my deeds. Ah, not good. You want mercy. God, don't give me what I do deserve. That's called mercy. And then give to me what I don't deserve. That's called grace. You need grace and mercy and say, the only reason I'm standing here is because the one sitting at your right hand, your son, loved me and died for me, and I believe and trust in him. And Father's going to say, come on in then. Come on in to the kingdom of heaven. So we're going to be judged. The Pharisees played God as they condemned people, never considering that one day God would be judging them. And then in verse 2, Jesus goes on, with the very same measure that you use, it's going to be used against you. 
So that, that's also very interesting. We are being judged all the time by other people, your family, your friends, everyone that is around you, surrounding you, living life with you. So the kind of judgment we measure out is the kind of judgment that will come back to us. Another way of saying it is, you reap what you sow. So how do you want to be treated when all your faults and flaws and cracks and fissures, you know, are going to be there? You want mercy, you want tenderness, you want compassion. Well, then give that out. Treat other people, everyone, starting with your own spouse or family, your brother, sister, your children, then your coworkers, your community, your sphere of influence, give out how you want to be treated back. I think it's very practical, but it's very important that we logically think through that and follow that. So we shall be judged. Number two, we are being judged. And then number three, uh, he tells us we must exercise tenderness and love when we're trying to reach out to others or trying to help them. So in verse 3, Jesus says, And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank, I'm going to translate that, two by four, hello, in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, hey, let me remove the speck from your eye and look, there's a two by four in your own eye. Hypocrite, first remove the two by four from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. So here's what's interesting about that. Part of this is about perspective. On the, on the one hand, I think Jesus is funny to me. I think, he, I think he's having a good time in this sermon. He's talking about, you know, you're worried about a little speck in your brother's eye and you got this big beam coming out your own eye. I mean, when you imagine that, you're like, oh my gosh, that's ridiculous. That's crazy. And it kind of makes you laugh. You know, it's, it's so absurd. And I think that's exactly what Jesus wanted for people to visualize and to see, yeah, it's absurd for you to be all concerned with a little speck in your brother, your sister's eye when you got your own problems. So deal with your own issues first. Now, here's the second thing that I think is interesting. Uh, the, the, what is the real difference between the speck and the beam? Literally, it may be that the same speck that is in your brother's eye is the same speck that is in your eye, but when that speck's in your eye, even a little speck can look like what? A beam. In other words, a lot of the times that we're condemning and judging a little speck in somebody else, we are guilty of the same sin. And the size and the sin are the same, it's just a matter of perspective, but what's, what's powerful is, if I don't first take out this little speck that looks in my eye like a beam, it's blocking my vision, I cannot see clearly to deal with my brother or sister. So it's kind of obvious, logical, common sense that we, if you want to get into the whole realm, and this is a big realm in the whole spiritual world, and by the way, most people are spiritual today. I know atheists have got a few bestsellers running around, and that's nice, uh, but they really have, have barely made a dent in humanity. In fact, I would venture to say that even right now, 2018, moving into the future, the seven billion people on the planet are getting more spiritual. Now, a lot of it's weird and spooky and all kinds of crazy things, but it's getting more spirituality than it is less. So in that realm, it's very 
very important as we want to try to influence people because we believe in Jesus and the gospel and the truth, um, how we do it. And Jesus does not need a bunch of pharisaical, hypocritical Christian believers annoying people <laughs> and, and, you know, getting people to run away from him because it doesn't represent him. So if you want to judge, no problem. You can do it. There's a lot of stuff that needs to be judged uh, as we look at the world. Start with yourself. Start with changing your own life. Start with looking in your own heart at what needs to take place. And I, I also want to say this, uh, because it, sometimes a spiritual, you know, you, you get saved, now you're Christian, you're growing, you're getting Bible studies, you're reading devotions, we got all of this wealth of material and so forth, and a lot of times it gets into one-upping uh, somebody else, because we know something they don't, or we got some special insight or whatever. I want to say this, Christianity is not a sport. As much as I love sports, as much as I think sports can be an analogy of discipline and goals and various things like that, when it really, when you boil it all down, life and Christianity is not a sport where you're ticking wins and losses and I'm better than this team and that team. It's a family. It is, first of all, the human family, every person from every background, from every nation, from every language, from every color, from every tribe, from every tongue, all seven billion are made in the image and after the likeness of God. And God loves them all, and He wants to reach them all. And we don't have the right uh, to pick and choose who we'll love, who we'll befriend, who we'll reach out to, who we'll be compassionate with. There's a human family. Now, within that human family, God is, has given all seven billion people a, an opportunity to make a choice, whether they want to enter into a personal relationship with Him. He's provided a way where all of the failure and brokenness and lostness and selfishness and greed and sin that, and I, I hope this makes sense and is obvious, we have never been as smart in one sense, as we are in the year 2018. I mean, you, you realize, and I know a lot of people, especially at this church right here in San Diego, California, are in the medical fields, scientific fields, and backgrounds, uh, you know, all kinds of different things where we're, we're smart. We've never been as smart as we are. We're unraveling the DNA code of human life. And at the same time, for how smart we are, how many would agree we got a messed up world? I don't think getting smarter necessarily makes us better or wiser. That comes from, that's, we need divine answers, divine wisdom, supernatural revelation, and that's why the Bible, and if I may say the only human being that lived it for his whole entire life, all the way to the end when he gave his life on the cross and then rose from the dead to prove he has all power and all authority over life, over death, and over all of eternity, pointed to Jesus. So it's a family, and we need to represent our Father well. We want to represent our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, in a way that will woo people and want them to you know, learn more and grow more. Pharisees put people down 
and criticized others who were not as good as them, not as spiritual as them, not as religious as them, to make themselves look good. But we should judge others in such a way as to make them look good to the best that we're able. So when I think about it, I'm going to just show you this picture. Here's this young lady with her eyes. And, you know, we're made in the image and after the likeness of God. So one of the, uh, one of the capacities, and, and this is not only true on the earth, because first the natural, then the spiritual, is that the eyes are extremely important. God positioned your eyes even in your physical structure. I mean, how, how helpful would it be to have eyes on the bottom of your feet? Not so much. God knew not only are the eyeball alone, how it came into being screams of design and the supernatural aspect of God, but where it is placed, how it is used, how sensitive that it is. And Jesus used the symbol of the eye intentionally. Why? Because your eye is one of the most sensitive parts of your body. And that's how he says, before you start condemning others or judging others or criticizing others or trying to religiously over, you know, overthrow someone else or whatever, you're dealing with the eyes. The eye is the lamp of the body. It's extremely delicate, extremely sensitive. And before you go, you know, try to gouge out somebody's speck in their eye, hey, what if it's them reaching into your eye? If they're going after your eye and some of you, you know, go to the eye doctor, don't you want an eye doctor that's very gentle and sensitive and patient? You know, not just pulling out a pair of pliers and going, here, let me get in there, you know, with linebacker hands or whatever. So anyway, we want sensitivity. We want gentleness. And we want uh, the Lord to be able to be blessed in everything that we do. So be careful, be gentle, be sensitive, uh, be compassionate. Um, I like this verse, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15, a complimentary scripture that I put into this uh, notes and this, this study. Let's read this out loud. But speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ. Now, if you have a pen or pencil, I want you to underline the phrase, speaking the truth in love. You can never, you and I can never separate those two things. They go together. We must speak the truth, but we must speak the truth in love. Now, there are some religious people, and they get into the truth, and they're smart, and that's, there's nothing wrong with that, and they get into the doctrines, and they go into the details, and they, all that they know. And they just come at you almost like with a machine gun. Did you know this? You know, and it's like a doom, 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 you know, with scriptures, just boom, boom, boom. You know, yeah. But man, they're, they're so excited about it. It's like bullets and they just go, you know, everywhere. Truth without love can be not only hypocritical, uh, it can be damaging uh, because you are wounding people because, it, you, you know, that kind of truth without any tone, without any sympathy, without any compassion, without any maturity can be very offensive. I'm sure there's some of you that have been hurt by somebody using a Bible verse and they throw it at you and it's like, wow, that doesn't make me feel good at all. So we have to speak the truth in love. At the same time, there are a lot of people, they go away from all that, ah, 
Forget doctrine and talking about what we believe and let everybody believe what they want. I'm just going to love everybody. Love, 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 love. Just and love is great as an emotion, sensitivity, compassion, but love without truth turns into mere sentiment. There's a point at which it actually it gets so mushy it doesn't really even mean anything. So I think what the Lord is saying, here's, this is divine wisdom. And this is what it means not just to be a little baby Christian, but to actually start growing up and becoming a mature follower and a mature believer. We learn through the practice of life and by judging ourselves first, how to balance truth, but with love. Love, but with truth. Balance. Would you agree with me? Those two things really need to go together. And we need to start with ourselves. Now, let me just say this, um, because we're, we're taking communion, and I don't always go into this, but as it's the first communion of this year, I think it's important to talk about, uh, for just one minute, uh, uh, self-examination. Did you know that the Bible says that for every Christian and for every child of God, before we take communion, we are to judge ourselves and, and the, the, Paul the Apostle says, be careful that you take communion in an unworthy manner. Now, what does that mean, an unworthy manner? Well, nobody's perfect. It's not by our good deeds or that I was especially good. This, what it means, what does it mean to take it in an unworthy manner? It means that you are taking it ritualistically. Oh, it's communion. Okay, eat the bread, drink the cup. It's a ritual. It's a routine. The, the idea is we, what we're doing is we are remembering the price of our salvation. It cost somebody's life. They died, and his name is Jesus, and he's the only perfect human being, and he was born in the incarnation of God, and he paid for my sins. That should affect how I take communion. I should be thinking of that realizing that, feeling that, letting that impact me. So I want to just say, yeah, we're, we're to examine ourselves and, and allow the Holy Spirit to convict you. I want to say this, that there, and this is true of all of us at certain seasons of our life where we just get too shallow. For whatever reason, it's been, you know, life's been rough or tough or whatever, and you're just like, I'm just kind of floating on the surface for a while. I want to encourage you, and especially if no one has ever exhorted you to do this, don't just be shallow. Go deeper. Don't be afraid to examine yourself and be honest about your faults, your shortcomings, your failures, bad habits, bad attitudes. And it's okay to come under the conviction of the Holy Spirit and say, man, you know what? I've been a fool. I've been dumb. I've been selfish. Lord, I'm so sorry. I've been arrogant. Communion is a good time of just kind of re-cinching that closeness to the Lord. It's very, very healthy to have that kind of self-examination. David expresses this in the Psalms. One of the reasons I believe he's a man after God's own heart. Do you, have you ever had the courage to say, like David said in the Psalms, search me, God. Tell me, show me. If there's, if there's any wickedness that I don't even know and I'm not even aware of, show it to me so I can repent of it. I may not even be aware of it. Maybe I'm getting a little curt or a little 
taking people for granted and you're just cruising through life and you don't even know it. So don't be afraid, you know, to, to go deep and say, search me, oh God, show me if there's anything that's not pleasing to you, not reflecting you, not honoring you. And then when he shows you, just go, ah, you got me. Yes, Lord, I see it. And you appreciate it. That's love. When somebody tells you something that, uh, you know, it's like, wow, I don't want to be like, I don't want to be a jerk. I don't want to be arrogant. I don't want to be prideful and selfish. And, and I have been. I'm sorry, Lord. So I want to say, on the one hand, self-examination, some of us need to just not be afraid to go deeper. On the other hand, I want to talk to others of you. There, because there are two extremes. The other extreme is sometimes we, we get into self-examination and, we, and they're like, oh my gosh, I, there's so much in there. I'm so horrible. I'm so awful. I'm so wrong. But eventually, there's a point at which if all you do is look at yourself and you're navel gazing, you get down on yourself, I'm an idiot, I'm a jerk, I can't do anything right, and you just start beating yourself up, and there, there's a, a false humility of constantly putting yourself down that is unhealthy, that is unbalanced, that is, and you know, other people are just like, so that's what it means to be a Christian? You just, you know, walk around pounding yourself all the time? That is an extreme. That is not right. It's not healthy. It's not normal. It's not the normal Christian life. So again, what I am am trying to share with you of what I have received from this part of the teaching on the Sermon on the Mount is Jesus is saying, Spirituality is healthy and it's balanced. You're, you know, you, you don't just drive yourself into the ground and you don't just be so shallow that you, nothing ever changes you or awakens you. So be in the middle. Does that make sense? That God wants us to be healthy. And so now, look with me in, uh, in verse 6. Now Jesus says we are to exercise discernment which is, again, a word that means judgment in our spiritual life. So chapter 7, verse 6, he says, Now do not give what is holy to the dogs. Okay, now this is really coming kind of from the Jewish culture. Uh, So he's not talking about dogs per per se as animals, but he's he's talking about for heathens, uh, people that don't, you know, think of anything spiritual at all, nor cast your pearls before swine. Obviously, swine are off... Uh, you know, the eating list for Jewish people, etc. And so he's saying, don't give holy things to those who are not holy or know God yet or walking with Him. Lest, why? They trample them under their feet and turn and tear you in pieces. All right? So basically he's saying, be careful. Um, you know, do not allow, we, we sometimes go into conversations with people that aren't saved, and we're talking about very personal things, intimate things that are kind of family truths. Don't bring those things and go out to some guy that's in the world and wahoo or whatever, because he has no respect for holy things. He's not ready. When you go out to a heathen person or a worldly person, here's what we bring to them. Not the deep, inner, spiritual, supernatural truths, revelations, and so forth, but we bring them what they need is the gospel. They need Jesus. You just bring them to Jesus. There's, how many would agree now, especially with social media, everybody on the planet is a philosopher trying to get their own following. 
hey, I know how to fix everything. And they want you to read their deal and they talk about everything and everybody else is wrong to some degree and they're the only ones that see everything correctly. Some people love to argue. I mean, and then you make your statement more, more and more bland to the point where who could disagree with that? They'll still find something wrong with that. So um, don't get into arguments. I, you know, I'll, I'll share a little bit my personal experience. So when I'm out and around and traveling or on a plane or whatever, and somebody, I, I try to avoid immediately telling them I'm a pastor because they, they change really quick. You know, it gets weird sometimes. You know, oh, you know, I'm sorry, did that cost? I, I don't know. Anyway. So, you know, I like to get into a conversation with him and, and talk to him and, and so forth. But, um, you know, as I'm, as I'm talking to him, they'll say, oh, yeah, yeah, the Bible. They, they start thinking about what, they're, what they heard, whatever. And, and if they think of one, oh, I know this. Yeah, what do you think about this weird story in the Bible? And they bring up, you know, something. When I was younger in the Lord, because I was a pastor and I had studied that, I would try to answer that question and I would think, if I answer that question, oh, then they'll say, wow, I never, you know, and then they'll come to the Lord. And I would find that you, they would ask this tough question, because I'm a pastor, I've maybe studied it, I would give them an answer and they go, oh, whoa. Well. well, then what about, what about all the religions? What about, you know, then they go on to something else and you're in a rabbit trail, you never get anywhere. So what I learned is, I'm not going to fix it by answering all their little questions about what they don't know or understand. They don't even have, they're not even saved yet. They don't even have the Holy Spirit or the capacity to get into that kind of a deal. What I want to share with them is, you know, here's what I say to them. I go, you know what? That's a great question. But what I want to talk to you about first is Jesus. Let's go to Jesus. Let's start with him. What he said, how he lived, what he did, what he claimed, and then all of it, you just narrow it down. That's where you just bring it to Jesus. Can I hear an amen on that? And man, there's been some great results, conversations that come out of that. Now with Pharisees, um, and not throwing your pearls before swine, I put in your notes just this little paragraph. This is a simplified Pharisee, uh, you know, radar tracker. So you can make sure you don't fall into any of these little traps. This doesn't cover the gamut, but it's a sign. And if any of these, to any degree, are true of you or have been true of you, get rid of them as quickly as you possibly can. Okay, here's the characteristics of a Pharisee. Number one, they're more concerned with what others think than what God thinks. They're very good, you know, well, what do the people say? Well, did you know? And the, the peop, these kind will throw out statistics. Well, the vast majority of people believe da 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 as if that's going to win the point of the argument. And so I always lovingly, respectfully go, well, that's very interesting, uh, but man's opinion is one thing, but what does God think and what does God say? Number two, uh, Pharisees don't like to mingle with sinners. Now, sinners can be a very wide range. It can be different from every little group. What I'm saying is, all Pharisees are prejudicial about some people. I don't like them, whoever them is. That's a sign of a Pharisee. Number three, very critical of others in small things. The littlest things drive them. I can't stand it when, you know, and you're kind of thinking, it's not that big of a deal. Well, the reason you think it's not that big a deal is it's not that big of a deal. But to a Pharisee, little things are big deals, and they make, little, they make a mountain out of molehills, so to speak. Number four, they're motivated. And this was a generalization. There's something in the heart, 
And, and what's going on in the heart that you can't see, because they always win arguments with you, they're always better, they always knew, they were the first or whatever, they're motivated by jealousy. And that, that's, uh, <laughs> that's a troubled uh, situation. Number five, they always assume the worst of others. Did you know that the Bible says love believes the best? Now, the reality is with a world full of broken people, including ourselves, we're always going to find the flaws and the caricature things that are wrong or whatever, but love always believes the best. Don't you want to have people that their first thought is, oh, I, I, I love them, I, I know them, and, and I, I want to think the best of them. That's the loving way. These guys automatically, they go, I knew he was going to do that. I knew they were that way. It's like, well, how did you know? Because they think the worst from the beginning. Number six, they're easily offended. Whoa, I never. And they get up and they're all offended and they're easily and often. That's a sign of a Pharisee. Number seven, they like to catch others in mistakes. Aha! You, you know, you did it. It's like this guy, you know, he's pointing the finger. They love gotcha. Uh, Okay, Pharisee. Number eight, they love titles which is another way of saying they love talking about themselves. Pharisees, if you give them a minute, will talk about themselves forever. And then did I tell you this? And did I tell you that? And then I went over here and then I went into that. They love titles. They love themselves. They love talking about themselves. Number nine. Oh, so the opposite of that is ask people. You know, one of the most powerful ways you can express love as a Christian, and Jesus did this, Ask others questions and then listen to the answers. Most people, you know, when you're talking, they're thinking, gosh, I wish you would shut up so I could start talking about all the cool stuff's in my head. No. You want to, Jesus listened to people. Listening is a way of loving. Uh, Number nine, they're very good at putting others down while lifting themselves up. Bad. Number 10, they're very good at making accusations. Revelation tells us that, guess what? The accuser of the brethren is none other than Satan. So don't join his club or his crowd. If someone is not ready to listen to the gospel, don't force it on them. Listen, Jesus never forced himself on anybody ever. He refused even to talk to Herod And Paul the Apostle refused to argue with people that resisted his word. And then we've got to close with the last one, verses 7 through 11. Because of this, we need supernatural wisdom. That's the reality. That's the world we live in. And so Jesus starts talking about prayer. He says in verse 7, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds. To him who knocks, it will be opened. Or what man is there among you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake or a serpent? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Therefore, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets." Why does Jesus start talking about prayer at this point in the message? Because when we're talking about making decisions, 
using discernment, making judgments that are important and necessary in life. At times, uh, we're human. We make a lot of mistakes. We don't always have all the information. We don't know, should I go this way, that way? Should I move? Should I stay? Should I take the job? Should I not take the job? Uh, A thousand questions we don't know. Only God knows all things. And because he knows all things, he's already looked ahead and made a path of progress for you to be fruitful and successful. How many of you want to know what that way is? How do we find a, a way through the maze and through this whole experience so that I survive and I make it? In fact, I want to thrive. I want to enjoy it. You need to know the plan of God. You need to know the purpose of God. We need to know the will of God. Okay, fine, I'm ready. How do I get it? Through prayer. And Jesus gives a secret to prayer. Very simply, he says, ask. But in the original tense of the language, it's don't ask once. Keep asking over and over and over again. Don't just seek once and then, well, I guess I didn't get any direction, so I'll move on. No, keep seeking Don't just knock one time. Why knock? Nobody came. I guess it's not God's will. And you walk away. Keep knocking. Asking, seeking, knocking. What Jesus is saying is, and this God has really been impressing on me, and so I share it all with you, that that we're good in the Word and with prayer and studying, breaking it down, making it applicable, but we need to go deeper in prayer. And Jesus said the secret to prayer is persistence. You hang in there until you get an answer. And I want you to know, I, you know, people will say, well, I prayed and I never heard anything and never got any direction, never got an answer. And I say, sorry, that's not true. What do you mean that's not true? That's my experience. No, you stopped asking, you stopped seeking, you stopped knocking. If you hang in there every single time, God promises, I will answer. If you ask, it'll be given. If you seek, you will find. You knock, the door will be open. But it may not be in your timing, so you got to wait patiently, prayerfully, pursue it persistently till you get an answer, and you will get an answer. And by the way, generally, you and I will, here's the three answers God always generally gives. And here's my favorite, number one, yes. If you knew that whatever you ask, God's answer is going to be yes, would you care how long it takes to get the answer as long as you get it? And it's yes, right? So yes, but there's another answer. What do you think that is? No. Listen, no is an answer. I have talked to, if counseled over the years, people, I prayed, and God said he wouldn't do it, and he's not going to give it to me, so he wouldn't answer me. And I go, oh, oh, wait, 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 wait. He answered you. He said, no. (laughs) Did your mom and dad ever say no? No. Well, can God say no? Sometimes that's the answer. And there's a third answer. Sometimes God says, "Mm, wait. Not saying no, not saying yes right now. Just wait. All you have to do to experience my peace is just keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking, keep waiting, and at the right time, boom, it will come. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Maranatha Chapel. If you haven't already, please subscribe for weekly messages. Feel free to share this podcast and join us for our weekend services held Saturday evening or Sunday morning. Visit our website at www.maranathachapel.org for more information.